Hello, and welcome to the Spoonie Authors Podcast, a podcast where we explore the life and stories of a different disabled author each week. I'm your host, Diana Gunn, and joining us today is Nicole Zelnicker. Nicole Zelnicker, she, her, is a writer, activist, and podcast producer at the Naciona. Nicole is also the author of Mixed, a nonfiction book about race and mixed race families, and Last Dance, a collection of short stories. You can check out the rest of her work at NicoleZelnicker.com. Hello, Nicole. Hi, how are you? I am great. I'm very excited to have you here to chat about your myriad of projects. Uh, And in particular, I'm excited to talk about your upcoming novel. Uh, So can you tell us a bit about Letters That I'll Never Send? Yeah, um, so I started it uh, around January of this year, sort of really um, uh, getting into it. I had had, um, you know, some ideas before and then had written um, kind of some separate excerpts, but um, sort of putting them together um, earlier this year, doing some edits, and um, it's going to be published uh, soon, uh, date TBD with Atmosphere Press. Awesome. And so Atmosphere Press is a small publisher? Yeah, yeah they're a small publisher. They had published uh, my short stories previously, and they have a bunch of awesome um a bunch of awesome books on their website so awesome i'll have to check them out i'm always on the lookout for a good new small publisher well new to me yeah <laughs> i think they're i think they're pretty young so new new would be fair fair enough so this is your first time writing a, a full-length novel first of all what inspired you to actually take on this challenge yeah um i it's something i've always wanted to do um i it's it's been uh, different, but also not just, um, I, I think the way that I write is kind of short story-esque, you know, like writing um, little bits and pieces and then um, kind of seeing how it all came together. Um, and Letters uh, specifically has kind of a lot of different um, moving parts. There are, um, you know, actual letters that the protagonist sends or doesn't send to, um, to people in her life um, as part of uh, therapy and, and part of her healing and um, the the protagonist is also a writer so there are excerpts from um, you know as as she's kind of figuring out how how to cope with what had happened to her um, you know her own writing so um, it, it wasn't so different in that way but then also you know just writing um, a longer connected piece was um, a challenge in and of itself and man- maintaining the tone maintaining the the voice of um, the narrator and the other characters. So, um, yeah. Awesome. So what was the, the most challenging part? Was it that, that challenge of maintaining tone or? Um, I would say the most challenging part was figuring out what was missing. Um, I think because I had previously largely written short stories, um, you know, it's, if they're, um, I'm, I'm kind of in the mindset of, of condensing and with the novel, um, you know, there, there needs to be more in people, you know, that there's space to answer the questions that people might have, um, that readers might have. So I think figuring out, um, you know, what those questions might be and anticipating them before I would be able to be asked um, was the biggest challenge. Oh, boy, that's, yeah. Yeah, I can see <laughs> that being the biggest challenge. <laughs> 
Uh, this sounds like, too, there was just a lot going on, both, you know, like, in the story and in the process. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's cool. Um, so this is your first novel, but you've also written a bunch of short stories. I know you were in the anthology Nothing Without Us, uh, yeah. which is a great anthology. We've actually interviewed both of the editors on here. Mm-hmm. Um and you also have your own anthology and a nonfiction book and a podcast. First of all, how do you how do you manage to have time for all of this, <laughs> all of these projects? Uh, I, I think the OCD definitely helps. Um, with that is you know the the kind of frantically needing to do everything all the time. Um, so that's um that's the answer that uh you know that that's kind of my my mental health answer but um I mean I I think that it's you know it's it's important to me and um definitely with you know with the first two books with um the short stories and and with the nonfiction, I was able to work on them um with the nonfiction in grad school and with the um short stories in undergrad um so that you know making time um in my adult life has been different um you know working on this but um, I, I don't, uh, I mean, I, I guess there, it's, it's important to me and, um, you know, I guess instead of watching Netflix and, uh, you know, writing a novel, <laughs> um, so, and, you know, it, it, the, the last couple of months especially have been, you know, um, I, I think it's been hard for a lot of people, um, just with the pandemic and, and everything that's been happening with the Black Lives Matter protests and, you know, the upcoming election. And I think a lot of how I channel my stress is focusing on these projects. So, um, you know, it, it's been a good time for editing for me. Yeah, I was about to ask that <clears throat> because what I've found in, in my creative communities is that the <laughs> pandemic has really got a lot of people stuck. Like, really, yeah. really deeply creatively stuck. For sure. And I have other friends who have, you know, written three books since they went into lockdown. Yeah. Um, I seem to be going back and forth week by week. What's it been like <laughs> for you? How it, has the pandemic had a big impact on your process or your schedule in terms of your creative work? Yeah, um, I think it's definitely pushed me to focus on this more. Um as, and I, I think it has been sort of a distraction for me. Um, it does, it has really kind of bothered me when I see, you know, people on social media or, or just post um, saying, you know, it because of the pandemic, we should all be writing, you know, four novels and, you know, learning a new language and, and you know, uh, doing all these skills. And, you know, even though I've managed to write this, I don't think it's fair to, to put that on people, you know? Um, I think that this is, you know, if the only thing you can do right now is survive, that's, that's pretty awesome. Absolutely. You know, you might be at home, but it's not like you've been given just a casual six month vacation. Everything is upended. Yeah, you're in the middle of a pandemic. Everything is upended. You can't Mm -hmm. do the things you would normally do during time off. Like there's, and there's just this low level anxiety. It's exhausting. Yeah. And I think with writing specifically, you know, it's, um, you know, maybe people have writers groups that help them that they can't go to. Like, it, it's not, I don't think it's fair to just say that everyone should be able to 
um, you know, be the next Stephen King um, because we have six months of being inside. Absolutely. I think that's really important perspective to keep in mind. Um, and it's just, it's so sickening how much capitalism just pushes us to this toxic mm-hmm. idea of be productive at all times, no matter what your circumstances are. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, you know, we're talking about, you know, mental health and, and disability and physical, you know, disability. And um, I mean, I, I think it's also just a really ableist idea that, you know, we, we should always be productive all the time, you know, people with depression and anxiety that, that this hasn't helped, you know, um, people that might have a physical disability that, um, you know, doesn't allow them to do things um, the same way that someone who isn't physically disabled might be able to do. Um, I, I think it's just, you know, I, I think we need to normalize the idea of that it's okay to, you know, not be productive all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So bringing things back to the art side of things, we've talked about how you make time for it, but why is it so important to you to be working in all these different mediums rather than being hyper-focused on, say, just novel writing? Yeah. um, I think it's important to... um, One one is accessibility. Like, with the podcast specifically, um, I... Uh, started it with the Nashona, um, and it, it was based on my nonfiction book, which is about race and mixed race families. And we had talked about, you know, how to get um, those stories out to the maximum amount of people. And, you know, they're written down um, in this book, but then also, you know, maybe it's easier for some people to listen to podcasts, or maybe people just prefer podcasts and, um, you know, getting getting that out. Um Definitely my, my kind of main creative channel is, is writing. Um, but it's, it's also been really cool, you know, to learn about podcasting. And I mean, you get it, this is your podcast, but, um, you know, it's, it's been cool to learn how to do things in different mediums. And then, you know, kind of second is that, um, I, I think with, um, with learning these different skills, whether it's, you know, podcasting or, or whatever, um, kind of other mediums. I've taken on, um, you know, it's, it's been helpful to kind of bring those skills back into writing. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess that's the answer to my question and I'm going to trail off awkwardly now. (laughs) Oh, that's all right. That. (laughs) It's a big mood for me. Honestly, I love doing the, this podcast, especially when I'm doing interviews with other people who have anxiety, because, you know, there's yeah. just this, this camaraderie where we both just say silly things and sometimes trail off. You know, <laughs> I had a brain fart in the middle of one of my podcast interviews yeah, recently, sure. and it's just this, this lovely understanding atmosphere um, that has been created with the Spoonie Authors podcast that I'm really grateful for. And yeah, I think the coolest thing about writing is that everything informs our work. Yeah, uh, for sure. There's, you know, it may not be direct, but every piece of knowledge we gain, every piece of experience we gain, it can somehow mm-hmm. be related back to writing. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, 
you know, especially true with, with letters and working on that is that like, it's very, I mean, it's fiction. Um, it's fictionalized, but a lot of it is based on my own life. You know, the, the main character goes into a psych hospital at the very beginning and, um, you know, is like learning how to, how to deal with depression and anxiety. And that's very much based on my own experiences. I went into an inpatient facility when I was 14, um, for almost a week and, uh, you know, very different than the eight months that the central character spends there, but definitely, you know, like pulled, um, from my own experiences and, um, it's definitely been cathartic in a lot of ways. And then also just, I'm excited, you know, to just have those conversations with people and, um, you know, have some part in normalizing, um, you know, things like depression and anxiety and, uh, mental illness. Yeah. I think it's really important to have those stories out there and frankly, that it's a lot easier to tell a fictionalized version of it than to actually spill your guts about your own. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't even like writing in this world. I'm like, nah, that's way too close to my own personal experience. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've, you know, I've experimented with kind of like fantasy and dystopia and stuff, never published, but um, I, I think the hardest thing for me is, you know, world creation. So if that's what you do, kudos to you. Well, thank you. Uh <laughs> So, and this is a contemporary work, I'm assuming? Mm-hmm. Have you dealt with the pandemic in your work? Have you included that? Because I know that's something that a lot of contemporary authors have struggled with the decision around. Do we yeah. even mention I it? have not. I think I would be open to it. Um, I think right now, I know a lot of what I need to read is not about the pandemic, you know, when it comes to fiction and um, when it comes to just leisure reading. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I want to put out there what I would be interested in, in reading um, because hopefully there, there are other people that would be interested in it as well. Um, maybe when I get a little bit of distance from the pandemic, which doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe then. Fair enough. I think it's an interesting thing to wrestle with, you know, how do you write contemporary when the contemporary world is kind of on fire in like eight different ways. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, I've talked to people about writing dystopia and, um, you know, it, it just seems like the market for that right now is rather small um, yeah. because we're living in it. <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah, it's like I have a copy of The Road that I've been meaning to read forever. And I, I don't, I, at this point, I don't know what's ever going to happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have a friend's mom who's a professor who's putting together like a pandemic reading list. And I'm like, all I want to do is read Harry Potter and, um, you know, things that are not about the pandemic right now. Even though there are plenty of good books out there about, you know, pandemic and dystopia. But yeah, I'm still reading dark books, but... Yeah, uh, I'm sticking firmly in the fantasy realm. I haven't read a science fiction book or a contemporary book of any kind in a long time. <laughs> and honestly, yeah. it'll probably be <laughs> uh, however long it is until we get a vaccine before I do, really. Ooh. I'm just... Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, anyway, uh, bringing things uh, back to the disability a bit. 
Mm-hmm. So what would you, what advice would you give to authors who want to include disabled characters and especially authors who want to uh, include representation of mental illness in their work? Yeah, I would say um, that it's a balance between, um, you know, they, they have lives outside of being uh, disabled um, and also that it does affect them. Um, so, you know, writing a character like with um, the main character in letters, not that I'm the, like, you know, the shining example or anything. And I, I can only really offer what, what I've done, but um, you know, what, what I tried to do was, you know, this is something that obviously is very, um, is affecting her, especially, you know, over, over the course of the novel. Um, but then also she has relationships with, you know, friends and, and her wife and her daughter and other people in her life, in, in her life. Um, and, you know, she is someone who has depression, but she's also, you know, a writer. And, um, you know, I think making making it clear that she isn't depression um, it was important to me. Um, but then also, you know, making it clear that, well, at the same time, this is something that very um, is, is very important for her to focus on right now. Um, so I think it's about finding that balance. Yeah, absolutely. Though I must say, some days with some of the conversations I have, it seems like her mm-hmm. being depressed and her being a writer might just be <laughs> synonyms. Synonymous, yeah. I think, yeah. I don't think I've ever met a sane writer, which, you know, is a big mood. <laughs> yeah, I've I've met recovered writers who have, you know, put in like 20, 30 years of trauma work. Yeah, for sure. But most <laughs> of the writers I know have... You know, they have that deep emotional wound that they give their characters all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was actually I was talking about this with a writer friend the other day that, you know, how much of our characters are just us projecting trauma onto, you know, this page. Um, and I said probably a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It varies from one white writer to the next, but For a sure. lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing, though. I mean, I think that, you know, it's it's a human experience and um you know for me like I mean I said before it's it's been really cathartic and you know I've written essays and and you know short stories about mental health in the past that you know I've I've had people reach out and say um you know hey I've gone through something similar and um you know I I didn't know of anyone that had gone through this openly and you know it's really cool to see that I'm not alone or um you know hey just that that story I read really you know helped me kind of work through through some things and that's been really cool for me um is seeing that you know it, it I've been able to connect with people that way yeah and that's one of the really cool things about fiction you know that's that's one of the things I love most about it is that yeah it's cathartic for us as we write it but mm-hmm. you know if we do it right we can also reach across the table and give a similarly cathartic experience to our readers or, you know, our watchers, the people who are experiencing our stories. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been watching through the show Killjoys, which is like the most underrated sci-fi show ever. And I'm kind of just on a quest to get everyone to watch it. And it just has the most powerful and healing representations of trauma Mm -hmm. I've seen in really any like, TV show. You know, I've seen yeah. this kind of powerful representation in books, but for TV it goes above and beyond. 
the whole series is out, so you don't have to worry about not getting an ending. Yeah. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, okay. it's only on Netflix in the UK. I don't know why. It's a Canadian show. Fascinating. But, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm, I'm very, like, one-track mind with um, TV shows. Like, I can only manage to watch one at a time. So right now it's Pose. And I will only watch Pose. Fair enough. I think, you know, that's important because there's only so much time in a day. If you want to have eight different creative projects, you got (laughs) to limit that to your time. You know, I I know I'm going to get so invested in the characters. There's only so much emotional capacity I have to get invested in these fictional people. Yeah. (laughs) Using so much emotional capacity for other things, including my own fictional people. I've only got so much for other people's fictional people. Uh Uh-huh. Gotta gotta strike that balance somehow. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to our final question, which is where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Yeah. Um, so I do have a website. It's NicoleZoneLicker.com. Um, I also, um, because, you know, I've done podcasts with the Nation, I have, I have some stuff published there. Um, and both of my books are on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So you should totally check them out. Awesome. They're great, says my mom. <laughs> and, well, if she didn't, she wouldn't be a good mom. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> One way of looking at it. It's a mom's job to be supportive. Mm-hmm. I know, unfortunately, too many people whose mothers don't really understand that, but... <laughs> For sure. I don't think she understands a lot of what I write, but she supports it. So. Well, that's the important thing. Uh-huh. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Have a lovely day and good luck surviving 2020. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Spoonie Authors Podcast. The Spoonie Authors Podcast is part of the Spoonie Authors Network, a community initiative devoted to sharing the stories of disabled authors and educating abled people about what life is like for disabled creatives. Transcripts of this podcast are also available on the Spoonie Authors Network. To learn more or become a contributor, visit spoonieauthorsnetwork.blog. And of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast streaming platform.